Well, hello and welcome to another edition of DXP Sales Radio. This is your host and announcer, Kurt Tufert, Vice President of Sales Development here at DXP. Today on our podcast, I have an interview, and the interview is with someone who is an absolute authority on all things that have to do with either today or in the future, but I'm not going to belabor that. I'm just going to allow Ira to come on in here and tell us a little bit. Uh, this is Ira Wolf, and he's the president of just one of the dominant companies that talk about things like assessments and motivation and behavior and change in the future and president of Success Performance Solutions. Uh, Ira, welcome to the show and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Kurt. It's good to talk to you again. I really appreciate it and the opportunity to do this. Um, yeah, you and I go way back. I guess uh, we met at the common publisher of the DISC assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been in contact for uh, I don't know how many years, but uh, it's, it's good to be with you again. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I've watched your career as when we first met in that uh, target training. And then, of course, as it has expanded, you have taken this whole idea of moving people into a different state, not a Tony Robbins state. It's not that kind of a state. It's much more of a uh, something that's just empirical using the assessment technology and, and just kind of gathering all that information. And tell us about some of the books that you've uh, developed in the podcast, and tell us a little bit about Success Solutions. So, well, I started Successful Performance Solutions. Um, it had a prior name to this, but started it uh, 21 years ago and things have evolved, but when I started it, um, I was primarily going to work with small to medium-sized businesses, mostly professional practices, because my I started out in healthcare. That was my original career. Um, and as I moved on, um, I would talk to clients and listen to them, and what they would share with me was that they were really having, they were starting to have trouble finding people and hiring people. That goes back um, right before the dot-com boom. Um, or bust, whichever side of it you want to look at. Uh, and so people were hiring like crazy. You know, at that point in time, people were worried that there weren't going to be enough uh, people to fill all the jobs that were created. And um, so I put together my first book, which was called The Perfect Labor Storm, uh, because I was actually sitting in the Perfect Storm movie. Uh, many of you have probably either read the book or saw the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were three, there, there were these three kind of incidental storms that if they arrived on any other given day, it wouldn't have been a big deal, but when they converged, it created these huge tidal waves and, you know, a big disruption off the the, uh, the coast of uh, New England. And uh, I said, that's exactly what's happening because we've got age demographics, people were talk, complaining, you know, talking about health care, we're still talking about health care, but we're talking about it back then, but we had aging demographics, we had a at that point, 20 years ago, we had a, this new generation coming into the workplace. We had Generation X, which was different than the baby boomers and anybody before that. Um, we had education issues. We had skill gaps. Um, so, we, you know, we were outsourcing jobs. So we had all these forces, and everybody was trying to fix one of them. And, you know, my not my solution, but my conclusion was that it was convergence of all these different storms, all these different factors that were was creating an upheaval. And it would take a while because, you know, nothing, well, in the past, nothing happened quickly. We can talk about how quickly it happens these days. 
Um, but, uh, you know, within 20 years, which is now, um, the workforce, the workplace, jobs would look incredibly different than they did before. So that was my per- perfect labor storm. And then as part of that evolution in, in, in mid-2000, people say, what do you think about these nuked young kids? So the conversation switched from Gen X to Gen Z to Millennials or Generation Y. And um, so I put together a second book, which was called Geeks, Skeezers, and Googleization, mm-hmm. which turns out to be the convergence of the tired, the wired, and technology. Because technology, you know, has been around for a while, but in the mid-2000s with the Internet and Facebook and social media and uh, Moore's Law in place, things just starting to, to move much quicker than than anticipated, and I know you and I were in a conversation earlier about you know if we think that it's going to it, it, we think that there's going to be a massive change in five years, whether it's to our career or our business or our business model or to a product, probably cut that cut that in half because there's some competitor or there's some force that's going to accelerate that. <laughs> you know, for the listeners here who are driving or who are listening on their smart device, you said Moore's Law, and if you could define that a little bit further, because you and I know what that is, but there may be some people on the call who don't know what that is. Yeah, uh, Moore's Law has been around. It was the founder, I think it was the founder of uh, Motorola, and uh, he predicted that the the computer power would double every two years, and that has held true. Uh, to this day, um, but it became beyond computer power because while computer power doubled every two years, what's happened is, uh, just kind of as an aside, why we have this thing called exponential change now, even more than that, so you don't even have that two-year time frame. Um, what's happened is the ability to micro-size the computer chips has allowed more more uh, more transistors and more uh, chips to go on a small area. So it's not only that the computer power is doubling, but there's many more of them in a smaller space doing the job. And that's really what we're talking about when we talk about robots and self-driving cars and technology. And um, I mean, it's it's just crazy. It's mind-boggling what how fast the world is changing. Absolutely true, and I've had the privilege of reading both The Purpose Labor Storm and Geek Skeezers and Googleization. I've had the chance to highlight and underline and reference some of the dynamics of those two books, and every author has a reason or an impetus for writing their book. Now, you are about to embark on another book, uh, and what a clever title, When the Shift Hits Your Plan. What was the background motivation to create this book? Well, good question. It started really with rewriting geek skeezers and Googleization. Um, Googleization. I wrote the book in 2009, um, and it was in 2009. I wrote it and published it within that year. Um, but when you think about it, in 2009, the iPod, the iPad, did not exist. Wow. There was no such thing as a tablet. Um, so we did have the iPhone was introduced, I believe, in 2006, might have been 2007, but somewhere in there. Uh, you know, they certainly came out with a couple different versions, and, and that transformed our, you know, our old phone, our old mobile phones. But the tablet itself um, did not really did not exist, at least a good one, until 2010. But that came out after I wrote the book. Um, so, you know, part of it is I wanted to update the 
the Googleization part, the technology, and as I started to do my research, and and I, I write a ton. I, I do a lot of blogs and newsletters, and you know, and it's, so there's a lot of free resources. People can just Google my name and find it. Um, but I I tried to, um, you know, that was the impetus to to make that change. But along the way, I also started to reread my material about millennials. And I know that's always a big question this day. How you know? How do you hire? How do you retain? How do you motivate? How do you sell to a millennial? And the one thing that we forget is when I wrote that book, the millennials were still in their 20s. So mm-hmm. there were still some millennials that were in high school, and the oldest millennials were in their late 20s. Well, the oldest millennial today is 37 years old. They're not kids anymore. They're not just. It's not. How do we retain and motivate these kids coming out of college? That's not even the millennial generation. Because while people are still worried, I mean, this is how fast things change. While people are still trying to figure out how to hire, retain, motivate, and sell to uh, and market to millennials, it's Generation Z, the following generation. And that may, label may not even stick, but Generation Z is, is now entering the workplace. They've got billions of dollars of money to spend. Uh, they're the most digitally active group because millennials learned how to use the internet because it wasn't available when they started. They learned how to use social media because they, they weren't doing that since, since they were kids. Um, but Gen Z has. And it's a, it's a completely different mindset. There's some good, there's some good characteristics that they bring. Um, they're a lot more practical than some of the millennials and, and even some Gen X. Um, but they are, uh, it's just a very different generation. So, you know, I'm looking at this and saying, okay, I, I can easily just rewrite the technology chapters and expand them because there weren't that many. Uh, but then it said, you know, I, I've got to rewrite even the millennial um, uh, conversation. And I, from that, I actually published an article, and it was it was Confessions of a, of a Recovering Millennial Basher. <laughs> because I was one of the people that talked about the trophy kids and, you know, they were narcissistic and they were self-centered. So here's how you, you know, Mr. Employer, you had a market to them, and here's how you had a manager. But they grew up, and, you know, I've read a couple other articles, too, about it. And the reality is, is that through history, I mean, I, I've got quotes going back to Shakespeare and Chaucer, um, and um, I can't remember his name, but it was a Greek economist um, who complained about the young kids today. I mean, we're going back to 400, um, you know, the year 400, um, that they were complaining about young generation doesn't respect their elders and doesn't communicate the same way and they don't have the same work ethic. So the reality is, is the millennials who were, you know, I wrote about then that are 27 are now 36, and a lot of them are, are very responsible adults. Some of them own businesses, um, but the responsible adults, they're doing well. Um, there are some that aren't. But I'm a baby boomer. I'm an older baby boomer. And mm-hmm. I can tell you for sure that I, I can name more baby boomers who I think are narcissistic slouches and, and feel entitled to the, than I can millennials. I, I work a lot with young people. Um, I hang around the university. I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and startups. And there's just some incredibly smart, ambitious, um, uh, giving philanthropy, you know, um, really social giving, uh, young people today. And if you can't find them, you're looking in the wrong place. 
to your point on that, we see that too here at DXP as we're looking at these multi-generations that are in our workforce. Uh, a lot of people are not leaving the industrial distribution or the industrial side of the world yet. They're staying because they don't have enough 401k, they can't retire, they can't afford it. So they're staying longer and then we're getting them in in their 20s. And so we've got this, this slice of all kind of different things happening demographically. And this coupled with this Generation Z and Moore's Law and the rapid development of technology, then, you know, you look at the subtitle of your upcoming book, How Smart Companies Thrive When the Wired, Tired, and Technology Converge. There is this this convergence, which is almost like a, a car wreck, if you will, of all these things that are happening, which you are um, highlighting in your white paper uh, right before the book comes out, and it's fascinating on how you look at historical disruptive innovations like the telephone and the printing press and automobiles and how that changed the landscape, and now we're moving into other things which are just as disruptive, and you kind of coined this term of continuous disruption, and it's uh, VUCA, V-U-C-A, which is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. How are you going to approach this this into your book and into um, where the world is going? How can you help us get ready for things that are volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous? Yeah, I mean, well, it's obviously hard. I mean, the first thing is to get people to accept that, you know, Luke is not – it's not a problem – and it's not a solution. It just is. I mean, it's the world. So as you said, it is our world is volatile. We, you know, we wake up any given morning and, and don't know, you know, what new products there. We don't know what the the, the, the financial markets are going to do. We don't know when the terrorist attack is going to happen. So it's volatile. Mm-hmm. It's uncertain, and that's the biggest challenge in, in trying to put together a book is how do you deal with uncertainty. Um, it's much more complex, and at least understanding complexity. What complexity is, I mean, and we're used to working in a linear world where if you did A, if you had a solution and you saw A and you applied some um, function to it or you did something to it, you, you went to B. I mean, it, it was a linear t- transaction. And, and what complicated is, is that there might have been a detour, and, and I don't even know if it's in the latest white paper you did, but I was trying to kind of define it for people. So A is I'm on a straight road, I'm out west, I can see hundreds of miles, there's no cars, there's no disruptions, um, but ultimately I can get to point A to point B with no interruption, no detour. Complicated is is point B is when there's a detour. You're driving down the road and all of a sudden there's an accident, or there's some construction, and they take you off a back road. And most of the times you can figure out your way, especially if you have a GPS and get back on track. What complexity is, is one is there's no roadmap. Um, you're not only traveling, you're not traveling down a straight lane. You're going down a, up, up a windy hill over a mountain and down, the, and your brakes give way. The rain and sleet starts coming down. Um, there's traffic coming at you, toward you, behind you. Uh, and there's no guardrails. That's that's sort of the kind of a, what a complex world looks like. And how do you how do you sift out all the noise? And I think that's the biggest problem people have um, is with complexity. There's so much information coming in that you have to get rid of the noise. And that doesn't mean turning off your cell phones, by the way, <laughs> and then detaching. But it's it's how do I identify 
the people I should be listening to, the information that I should be digesting, and block out the rest, or at least not pay attention to it. Um, and and then you have ambiguous, and the fact is is that once you go through all those stages, there's still no one correct answer. There may be two or three correct answers, and then you have to, you know, make that decision. So on the flip side, and, and this is preliminary, I mean, this is actually not my theory, but it makes sense, so it's a starting point of figuring things out, and I'm, uh, again, I'm, I'm working on, I think there's a better model out there, I just don't have it yet because it's uncertain. Um, but the solution for volatility, not a solution, but a, kind of a, a, an antidote for volatility is having a vision. You have to be really clear on where you want to go, what does it look like, um, you know, where you want to be. Um, and and, it's, and it, even in attracting millennials and, and, well, almost any generation, but especially millennials, they want to know what's the purpose of your organization, you know, how, what role do you see in the world or in your community? Uh, what's the purpose that you can help them provide? So, you know, vision's an antidote for volatility. Understanding is an antidote for uncertainty. And and understanding just means understanding the environment. You have to read. You can't take people's word for it. You have to kind of come out of your comfort zone, both intellectually and personally. So on the intellectual side, is you, just, you have to read. You have to change your sources. You just can't check with your buddies and 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 the old group think, you know, the group think thing um, to make sure that you have confirmation. I have for years tried to surround myself with people. Well, I may not even like them, but they challenge me. They mm-hmm. make me think. What is it that they said that they don't get? What is it that sort of perplexes them and me? And you know, what can I do about it? I mean, it, 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 sometimes there's no answer, but at least it makes you think. The other part of understanding is, and, and again, this is where you and I, you know, where, where we met, is really understanding yourself. Mm-hmm. People have got away for a long time on on their education, their experience, and and their positive traits and their negative traits. You know, I can't even say negative traits. Their vulnerable areas, some of their weaknesses, didn't matter. They just you know, the, the the other strengths and their expertise was enough to get them through. But ultimately, uh, in today's world, you not only have to be confident, but you have to understand how other people might see you. Because you can see yourself as confident, and they see you as arrogant. Or you see yourself as an expert, and they see you as a know-it-all. And it comes down to endorsement, trust. You know, we've got a good friend, Judy Souter, you know, acquaintance. Yeah. Um, you know, she had, she lives and dies by the endorsement model. It's got trust. So, you know, the DISC model or whatever model you want to use or, or coaching or mentoring is really having feedback from other people to say, here's how I see myself. How do you see me? Mm-hmm. Because that's, you're not just not going to get away with that anymore. We don't have that margin of error within our own being. So understanding is both becoming more of an expert, subject matter, subject matter expert, and also you know, becoming kind of a better person, person to person. Mm-hmm. And then finally, is you know, uh, ambiguity um, is, you know, the solution to that is agility. Um, you can't, it, it doesn't matter what you were 20 years ago or 10 years ago or or what a word you got last year. Every day is a new day. And I love a, com- a quote. Uh, it used to be the internal model with Facebook. It's no longer. Um, but it used to be, um your journey um your journey is only one percent complete 
Correct. And that's every day. And the reality is, is every day, and we may not like it, because for anybody who's, you know, certainly an older baby boomer and ready to retire, you're thinking, good, I'm like at the 95% line. And I'm telling you, I mean, your days are numbered, and if you've got enough put away and you don't have to worry about it, great. But if you still want to remain active and relevant, even with your grandkids, I mean, if you want to remain relevant, you've got to look at every day, maybe it's not 1%, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 50%, but you've got to look at every day that there is so much you don't know and so much you need to grow into. Um, the other part of that A is abundance. And um, that, you know, we, we didn't talk too much about it, but I was preparing for a TED Talk. I don't know if I'm going to end up doing it. But in, in that, the goal was is we live in an incredible lifetime. And and we're very fortunate, although we don't think it is because we're just bombarded by all this negative news. But the, w- there are so many opportunities out there, not for material wealth, but just the quality of life. Um, and a lot of it has to do with artificial intelligence and nanotechnology and um, bioinformatics and genomics, and there's a whole host of things, and I'm sure it's in some regards it's affecting your industry as well and your business. Um, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to revolutionize how products are made, how they're delivered, how they're sold, how they're used. Uh, to me, that's incredibly exciting, and I want to be a part of it. I don't want to say, gosh, I, I'm glad I, you know, I'll, I'll, you know in, in 10 years, I won't have to deal with it. I hope I'm around for another 25 or 30 years. And, and to see that, I want a good quality of life. But the good news is in the age of abundance, you will, we will have a better quality of life. Uh, you know, I love what you said about just this whole counterbalance, whether it's volatility, we're going to use vision, uncertainty, we're going to use understanding, complexity, we're going to use clarity, ambiguity, we're going to use agility. I definitely think that this book, when it gets published, and even the white paper that you've given me the permission to distribute to some of my sales guys, helps us in the sales capacity to look inward. And I know that you're an authority on the DISC profile and numerous other profiles to help customers and companies and coaching and talent management to determine what are the strengths and challenges of an individual so that we can invest in the right things to keep that person and make them productive. Taking all that into consideration, refocusing this conversation to a sales side of it, you know, we're thinking about sales. You've been in this game for so long. You consult to Fortune 500 companies on a daily basis. What would you say are the top three things a sales professional needs to improve knowing this VUCA is right there in their midst? Well, one is I think in a case like that, I think it's even understanding because I don't think you can create a vision. Many times you can't create a vision if you really don't understand what your market is. So don't discount things. And, and let me give you an example, and it's not specific to sales, but it, it, the example will help. We just had some landscaping done, and, and uh, he's actually a teacher, but he's another example, a millennial, 34 years old, has this thriving summer business. Um, so he comes over and does some landscaping. And when he came over, he said, um, you know, he's going to do a design. And he came back, and it was a hand-drawn design. And he said, you know, I, I don't use computer programs. I really I like doing the design, um, we're very creative, I've got a good art background, and uh, he did it. It was beautiful. Um, but I, he said the, the computer programs were too constraining. And I said, well, you know, there's programs out there now 
that you can scan in all your old drawings that you do by hand and or take pictures. Just take a picture of a of a design that you did. And the the, the software program will analyze it and pick out the common things. Therefore, when you go into your computer program, the computer program is going to learn how you think, how you lay things out. That was the start of it. So he started to get interested in that. Um, but beyond that, I said, how is it going to affect you when the 3D printer, when you come in and say, here's, some, here's the plants that we're going to, you know, I'm recommending. And instead of going to the local lawn and garden area, you're going to go to your truck and you're going to print out the shrub. Hmm. And and not only will you print out the shrub, but they now have 3D elements that have taste and smell. So <laughs> it's not like oh I don't want plastic plants. These aren't these aren't going to be natural, but you're not going to know the difference. And I mean the whole process is changing. Now is that going to happen overnight? No. Is but I you know I I I said to him I think in 10 years I don't know because. Again, you and I were just talking today. I mean, self-driving cars, we were thinking, is 2025, and I just heard an announcement that they're going to – Uber is putting self-driving cars, self-assisted driving cars, so there's still a driver in it, mm-hmm. um, in Pittsburgh, uh, I think next month. And so when we were anticipating that five to ten years down the road, now you find that it's really, really accelerated – and now they're really expecting that there's going to be a couple hundred thousand on the road, um, you know, in the next three years. Uh, now, an example like that, and again, these aren't specific to, you, to what, you know, to your industry, but just in sales, it is, and maybe it does. Um, if you think about self-driving cars, the, and, and in all state actually recognize this in their strategic plan, they identified that they have the potential to lose up to 90% of their insurance premiums. Because with self-driving cars, there's going to be 90% less accidents. Forget wow. the Tesla thing that just happened, because it's one out of a couple million miles. So now, what's the downstream from that? If you don't have accidents, well, then you don't need as many repair shops. You don't need collision shops. You don't need insurance adjusters. Um, you don't need, um, you know, you're not going to use as much paper. Um, think about the downstream, not that, oh, the self-driving cars isn't going to affect me. But if you manufacture parts or some of your clients' manufacture parts or in the automotive business um, or any related business or even related to the insurance business, you may be affected because their business is going to be affected. And that's, that's what complexity is. I mean, we're all, we're all interconnected in crazy ways and, and interrelated ways and interdynamic ways. So... You know, specific to salespeople, you know, the number one thing I said, you know, I can say is start reading. I mean, really, you don't have to read Futurist magazine, but, you know, think about when you see a self-driving car, don't discount it. When you think about 3D printing, don't discount it. When you think about nanotechnology, how is it going to affect your business or, or artificial intelligence or robots or drones, go beyond that. Think about how it – and I, I do this all the time. Don't think about how it affects you, your clients. Think how it affects your clients' clients. Hmm. Because if your clients' clients aren't buying products or services, you're not going to be selling products to your clients. Good point. You know? And 
and, and Ira, right right at that point, you you really struck for me at DXP. We've got uh, we've got this great market segment on supply chain services, and led by one of our futuristic thinkers, John Jeffrey, and and he has to think about his client's client, and yes delivery mechanisms and consolidations of vendors and the ease of delivery and the ease of doing business. And eventually, we look two, five, ten years from now, that's going to be automated. If you can get a driverless car, then you can get a driverless warehouse. You can get a robotic system. You can get industrial distribution with retinal mm-hmm. scans. And it yep. just – everybody says, oh, Kurt, that's eight, ten years from now. Moore's Law nope. says that's 2018. And your 3D well, it, it, printer it, it, is a whole new thing. And, and then I'll throw two more on top of that one. Virtual reality and this oh, yeah. this uh, this fragmented reality of just knowing that, hey, I mean, this VR for the gaming, fine, that's great. But VR for for, for operations, for, for learning, for, for things that haven't even been developed yet, I mean – Four months ago, we would have never thought about a game that you play on your smartphone that overlays your GPS and landscape, and the next thing you know, you got Pokemon Go, and it becomes crazy. Yeah, that's exactly. I'm actually. I just got in the mail today. I write for a business, the business magazine, and uh, my article was when the shift hits HR's plan. It was a little bit more specific, but ultimately, that's what it was. It was about Pokemon Go, and you know, most people blow it off. What are kids? You know, it's so dangerous. Kids are you know, wasting your time, um, you, you have to go beyond that. You have to think about the technology, and you're absolutely right. It took real landscape. It's, it's actually not virtual reality. It's augmented reality, so it's a combination. But it is think about any, you know, any visit um, that you have to a client now is that ultimately you're going to be able to, on a game, somehow implant yourself in that company or – your clients, your your clients' customers um, are going to be able to go shopping, you know, on their smartphone. But it's not going to be looking at a at a, a, a JPEG image or an image. They're going to be looking at the actual store or or the layout or the factory or the plant or the distribution or the highway, um, and they're going to be able to maneuver themselves around there just like they were there. So. Again, is it going to happen overnight? But no one thought that Pokemon Go was going to do what it, what it did. And just to get, kind of give you an analogy of that, um, how fast things move, it took um, it took 75 years for 50 million people to adopt a telephone. It took five years for 50 million people to use the Internet. It took 35 days to get um, 50 million people to use Angry Birds and then Pokemon came around, and they had 25 million users within seven days. Whoa! The, the adoption rate, and and beyond that, if they're using that, if that's their experience, just like Amazon, if you get treated well buying products in Amazon, you better be able to deliver a similar service. Mm-hmm. So if your experience using Pokemon Go, there's a whole generation that that's what they think is reality. And for them, that is reality. So why can't why do they have to call in or go online, and this is going to even change Amazon's business, go online and, and fill your cart with images of what you want. I can actually go shopping in a shopping in a store, in a grocery store, and pick the products. And I just saw the other day where, I can't remember it is, maybe it was a Sam's, and, and some, some of the other areas might have it too, um, that you can put on your smartphone an app 
And as you're going around the store, um, you just scan the item. It starts uh, checking it up. You use Apple Pay or your credit card, how you want to pay it. And you just walk out the door. The only thing is, you see, have a little, not the greeter, but the, the, the person at the, at the door checking to see that you paid for all those products. But it's all on your phone. They're, they don't even have the cash registers. I mean, they've gone beyond the kiosk. Yeah. Um, and that's partly, you know, um, augmented reality. Well, as we've been looking at this interview with, with Ira here and, and some of his ideas on and all of these things as it, as it hits when you're when the shift hits your plan, the, the takeaway here for us who are on this call is it's for sales, it's education. It's we've got to be on top of our game when it comes to not only the technical side of the things that we do, but also the commercial side of the things that we do so that we can be aware and that we can have the education so that when it comes time to combat this VUCA, this volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, we can turn around and we're going to combat that with vision, understanding, clarity, and agility. Well, Ira, before I let you go here, I always have to ask this question to the experts. If you could bend the horizon or peek around the corner, what do you see coming toward us um, in the next three to six years? Wow, I think we covered a lot of it. Yes. Um, there's no question artificial intelligence is going to be you know, really high on that. Um, I think beyond that, and many people may not know, you know, artificial intelligence, it's like, oh, we're going to have a robot. Well, what's happening is the robots are now learning. It's called machine learning, but the robots are learning how to take care of robots, and robots are building robots. Um, now, they still need humans to figure out all the other problems that aren't routine. So I think artificial intelligence, uh, you know, take, uh, I, I think overall is just the theme we've been talking about. It, it's not... It's not if the shift will hit your plan, it's when. And if you think it's beyond five years and you're going to be able to have an adoption rate, you're wrong. Um, so I, I think the theme is, is that over the next five years, we're going to see massive disruption in all markets. We're going to see business models start to fail. We're going to see lots of new products. And we're going to see some companies take advantage of all the opportunities that's out there. And, you know, and, and again, I, I think leaving somebody, not to scare people, but I think it's, because VUCA's, by the way, it's, it's a dark, scary, um, dangerous-sounding word. Um, and, and that's what I was trying to come up with another acronym as part of the solution. But I, I think ultimately it's an age of abundance. Um, there is going to be so much new opportunity. And if you're willing to you know, understand what's out there and you're willing to develop clarity and you're willing, you know, and you're you're going to adapt and learn new skills, uh, you'll have the world bite your tail because the good news is there's a lot of other people that just aren't going to do it. Well, on that note, I want to thank you very much for taking time out of your busy day to do this and uh, to share with us the vision of your new book, your third book that's coming out. We're excited about that coming out. And uh, for those of you who are on this call listening, either in your car or on your smart device, uh, this was a phenomenal interview with Ira Wolf, who is uh, just a phenomenal person at re that's president of Success Performance Solutions. And uh, Ira, thank you very much for coming on the show here. And I look forward to uh, talking to you in a future date about some of the developments within DISC and some of the other assessments. Yeah, thanks very much, Kirk. Really appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I'll keep you updated as uh, the shift to your plan develops.